We are back. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Congratulations on your book, by the way. Thank you. Thank you so much. I can I can barely hear you, so I'm not sure. Uh, right, but uh, that could be my age. How about this? Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Okay. Thank you. I had to switch mics. It's not your age. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Technical difficulty. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Thank you so much. I know this is a personal story because it's a story of a father and son. They're both battling cancer. Tell me why this is a really important story for you to write, to get this out, as opposed to, you know, keeping it tight. Yeah, I, um, you know, it was, it, was a strange, it was a strange kind of uh, coalescing of events where I was 28 years old and I was diagnosed uh, with stage four cancer. I had no symptoms. Uh, my doctor was giving me, you know, roughly three months. Oh my gosh. And my, my wife was eight and a half months pregnant at the time. So um, I didn't want to tell her because she, uh, her mother had been diagnosed with cancer and given three months and then died oh. three months later. So um, I didn't want to, uh, you know, terrify her. And, and also I was in shock myself. So I went and told my father. I was in New York at the time, and I went to Boston to, to tell my father. And my father, uh, who was a psychoanalyst and a devout atheist, um, you know, was devastated when I told him the news, and he prayed for the first and only time in his life and asked God to give him cancer so that I would live. And um, and several days later, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, which was purely coincidental because he had been complaining of stomach pain or so for, for about a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the doctors were giving him the same prognosis, essentially, so we uh, we kind of spent the last few months together, not sure either if either of us was going to make it, and yeah. uh, and during that time my my son was born. So I was becoming a father as my father was losing his, or, yeah. or as I was losing mine. I should right, say. Right, right. And here you are. And here I am. Spoiler alert. I I have to share something. I have a friend who had, uh, was diagnosed with three months to live. This was 2019, and she's still here. She has stage four breast that's, cancer. Oh, that's fantastic. Did you do something differently, or did you follow the protocol? What did you do? Yeah, there was actually there was no um, treatment that they knew of at the time. It has since become, it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and it, it has since become uh, more treatable, much more treatable. Um, but uh, I got... Uh, to get to participate in a clinical trial in London, and um, it was it was that drug that they were uh, that they were testing uh, that wound up saving my life. And uh, the downside of it is I've had three other cancers since, um, which probably you know the the treatment was really brutal mm-hmm. uh, with radiation. It was like uh, you know intravenous radiation. Wow. Um, but, uh, but I survived and, and now my, my son who I wasn't supposed to see live past three months is now 23 years old. Wow. Amazing. I actually lost a friend to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Well, actually I retract that. He was diagnosed. He had an operation. Um, he said it was, he was fine. And then I found out years later he died of leukemia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, and a lot of it had to do, I guess, with the treatment and reactions to things, and yeah, yeah. So, yeah I mean, it's a, it's the blessing and the curse. You know, you get ostensibly you get more time, but then what happens in that time? You know, for for me, it's been a it's been a series of cancers, and it's been a battle that way. But mm-hmm. I mean, just to, to get to see my son go to high school and drive, and 
and you know now living with his girlfriend it's uh, it's pretty amazing unbelievable i w- yeah. i want to uh back up a second now sure. uh you're a writer yes and where did you grow up east coast um yeah i grew up um i grew up in long island um for the first seven or eight years of my life and then uh moved to arizona and i was in arizona until I graduated from high school or from college and went uh, went back east, back to uh, New York, where I was. I got a job writing for Saturday Night Live, and I was doing stand-up uh, comedy mm-hmm. for many years, and started a nonprofit for terminally ill patients, bringing comedy into their homes. That's beautiful. Um, so, and this was before I was sick. So that's the irony of it all. Are you still doing that? Uh, I'm not. No. We, uh, I am now living in Seattle. Okay. Uh, after, after 9-11, I moved to Seattle because, uh, you know, I was, I was two blocks away from the Trade Center uh, on that morning. So I oh just decided I probably needed a better place to raise my son. Definitely. Yes. How, how has it been in the pandemic for you? Did, you? did you finish this in the pandemic or was it finished before? Um, it was actually finished before, but I completely rewrote it during the pandemic. Um, oh, why is that? And uh, because uh, some some information from my past had come to light, and it allowed me to sort of uh, redirect the narrative of the book because it sort of helped me understand sort of uh, childhood events that that mm-hmm. shaped the way I kind of looked at trust um, and and just the whole trajectory of my life. So. It gave me an opportunity, in a weird way, to to sit down and write a write a, a, a very different book. You know, it's not actually weird. I was just talking to my first guest, and I was saying I feel like the past few years has been a time where people peel back their layers and they look mm-hmm. at trauma, they look at why they are the way they are, and the different people in their lives and things that shape them. And I actually lived in Woodbury, New York, uh, briefly oh. growing up, and okay. I've just. I reconnected with a stepdad recently, but just mm. thinking about who I am and how I got to where I am, it's, it's yeah. been like that for a lot of people, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's like, it's like forced contemplation in many ways. Like yes. For, for us to really, like, examine, examine who we are, what we want to do, what makes us happy, what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, it's, I think that was the, the benefit, if there was a benefit to it, there was a, that, is, that was, is in what it is. So. Yes. So what is life like for you now as a writer? Is, is this something that you, you want to write more books? What, what are your plans? Um, yeah, so this is, my, this is my second book. It's a, this memoir, Cotton Teeth, is a, is a um, continuation of my first memoir, Rodeo and Juliet, in, mm-hmm. from 2010. And uh, the third book I'm writing is going to be just uh, really sort of funny because these uh, last two memoirs have been pretty heavy, even though they're, there's lots of funny in it. Yes. <clears throat> um, it's, you know, they're, they're heavier topics. And so the, the third book that I'm working on now is really just a series of, of uh, essays from very weird decisions I've made in my life and what's, <laughs> what's come up with. So. Well, that's good to share because maybe it'll inspire other people to share their strange decision-making. Yeah, yeah. And, th- and that maybe some great things come from the, those weird decisions that seem catastrophic or really bizarre at the time. Yes. I mean, I was telling my first guest as well, here it was, what, 2011, I decided to start this show, Get the Funk Out. 
And I remember mm. thinking, what am I? What am I doing? I mean, who calls a show that? But it's it was very cathartic because I had lost. Name. Thank you. I had lost a friend of mine, so I was in this major funk. And then other people mm. started sharing stories of they went through this, you know, personally, professionally, uh, mm. loss, sickness, etc. And here yeah. I am, eleven years later. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Thank you. I mean, yeah. I mean, I it's it's one of the things that my my father talked to me about when. Um, you know, kind of in the last few weeks of his life, he was just sort of talking about the importance of turning that sort of headwind into tailwind and how, you know, um, like that. that, you know, the, it's, it's sort of inevitable that you're going to have very difficult times in your life and you won't necessarily know in those moments why those things happen, mm-hmm. but they do tend to reveal themselves. And, and I have found that to be totally true. And, not in a way of like, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Although I am a believer in that, but I know it annoys a lot of people. Um, but it I think annoy it's, me, so. <laughs> what's that? It doesn't annoy me. <laughs> okay, um, you know it, it, what I have found is like is so many of the the darkest and most difficult moments in my life have have opened, yeah. you know, uh, some some great paths for me when I definitely did not see them at the time. Yes. I mean, you you were staring down that headwind. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I love that. I love that, um, what your dad said. Yeah, and that's, you know, to me, that was the, the focus of the book. Is You know, my, my dad was a psychoanalyst, and um, he was, you know, he was super bright guy and thoughtful guy and sensitive guy. And, um, you know, and inadvertently in those last weeks, he, told me a lot of things that really stuck with me and mm-hmm. um, and really, you know, kind of helped me sort of reframe a lot of things in my life when things got bad, uh, you know, and I don't think he intended necessarily yeah. to pass along those things as, as wisdom or advice, but they, they absolutely were and still are to this day. What a gift. Yeah, it really was. You know, if... If for people listening, one of the things one of the things I've learned recently is if there's somebody that you're not connected with, maybe you, there's a grudge, you had an argument, whatever it is, you haven't mm-hmm. picked up the phone, pick up the phone and reconnect because you just don't know what yes. what will happen. And I I reconnected with a stepdad I haven't seen since I was five, the the one from Woodbury, Long Island, and um, wow. for a year we had the most. In- incredible time talking on zoom wow yep that's amazing that's amazing and that you know and and to your point that's i mean it's such an important thing too and and i think like all my my years working with people and end of life stuff it's just i I realize there's we hold on to a lot of things and and we don't really contextualize them in a way that where we go uh you know it's possible that we didn't get along at that time or there's a yeah. grudge because of something they were going through at the time right. and and let's give them the grace to maybe explain it and maybe as adults we understand it in a different way and it's, a, it's, sure. it's an opportunity you know because you're already not talking to them so yes. it could only get better yes right? exactly so, i mean how know. many times have you run into an angry person whether you know them or not and there's got to be a, a backstory as to why they're like this Exactly. They could be upset, yeah. fearful, et cetera, fill in the blank, but there's always something. There's always something. And, and so it's an opportunity, especially, you know, as you, as you grow and you evolve, you know, your, your ability to, to sort of recognize things in people and, and 
to feel compassion, to understand people, you know, that, that expands over time, hopefully. And, and you may understand something that, you know, uh, like I used to, I used to harass my dad all the time because he would come home from work and he would be sort of absent-minded and he just wanted to watch, you know, sports on TV. And I said to him, he's like, I'm just exhausted. And I said, how are you exhausted? You just sit and listen to people tell their problems all day for eight hours or 10 hours, you know? And now that I'm an adult, I go, (laughs) oh, right. That's completely exhausting, you know? Yeah, that would tap me out. I mean, that is draining. Yes, absolutely. Well, where can people find out more about you? Uh, Well, I... They can follow me on Twitter at uh, Just a Ride is J U S T A R I D E and um, and you know my books are on Amazon and basically everywhere Barnes and Noble and Target and Walmart and um, and uh, you know I'm on Facebook. There's a Facebook author page. Uh, just if you search my name, you'll find that, and I update that with with all sorts of information whenever something new happens. Fantastic. Well, congratulations. I've been speaking with Glenn Rockowitz about his latest book, Cotton Teeth, and he's also the the author of the bestseller, Rodeo in Juliet. Did I pronounce that right? Is it Joliet? Joliet, yeah. Joliet, excuse me. I'm going to have to read that one as well. It's, uh, yeah, it's Joliet Joliet from Joliet, Illinois. So it'll it'll make sense when you read the book. Okay, (laughs) I've got to read the book. Well, thank you so much for calling into the show. Um, don't hang up. I'm just going to put you on hold for a quick sec. And uh, thanks so much for calling in. Thank you so much for having me, Jane. Absolutely. Have a great day. If you missed any part of this segment, uh, it'll be up on the show blog within an hour after I wrap. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.